Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Four Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusek, and this week my guest is Steve DeMeglio. Steve is a senior writer with Golf Week, GolfWeek.com, and USA Today Sports. And in the podcast you're about to hear, Steve and I go deep into the Players' Championship, which is won really dramatically on Sunday by Justin Thomas by shooting a weekend 64-68. It was a, um, a really big, important, emotional win for JT, and he put on an absolute clinic in striking and hitting golf balls, making some big putts. He was far from perfect. But as Steve and I discussed, this one was about a lot more than just golf for JT. We also go deep into Lee Westwood, whose resurgence continues, coming in solo second, just one shot behind Justin Thomas this week at TPC Sawgrass. And we also talk about Bryson DeChambeau and his real challenges, the way that he said he was penned in by TPC Sawgrass. And really, I get into quite a little interesting chat with Steve, about how influential Bryson DeChambeau is going to be, not just today in terms of like how he is affecting players like Rory McIlroy, but also how influential is Bryson DeChambeau going to be in the years going forward. And at the end, we talk quite a bit about the uh, Honda Classic, which is going to be taking place. Bear Trap, drink, uh, one of my favorite drinking games, actually, having a little swig of beer every time somebody on the TV says Bear Trap. Um, we're talking about the Honda Classic this week. A couple of players having tested positive, unfortunately, for COVID-19, having to withdraw. Daniel Berger having a little bit of an issue, it sounds like, with a rib, having a, an MRI done. We take a little bit of a preview for the Honda Classic as well. So sit back and enjoy. So now, once again, coming to us from West Palm Beach, Florida, I've got Steve DiMeglio, who is a senior writer with Golf Week, GolfWeek.com, as well as USA Today Sports. And uh, you have become Mr. Florida Swing. I know some of these things are home games. When you start stacking them one on top of the other, it um, I'm number one, I'm, I'm, I'm jealous because it's warm. But then number two, you're seeing a lot of really good golf. How has the Florida Swing been treating you so far, Steve? Well, it's it's been interesting. Um, we started at the concession which is a place that none of the pros had played at except for Bryson DeChambeau. A few of them had played the NCAA championship there in 2015. And that was a little different kind of golf course, let's say, you know, a lot of water hazards, um, some interesting greens. And then you uh, step into the cauldron of Florida as far as tough golf courses, starting with Bay Hill, Arnold Palmer Invitational. And that produced a solid winner. And then you go up the road, I-4, catch 95 North, and you get the Players' Championship at the stadium course at TPC Sawgrass. So back to back to back is interesting, difficult, very difficult. On the edge of your seat, difficult. And now we've come straight down 95, I-95, and we get maybe the toughest golf course of the four, the Champions Course, for the Honda Classic um, last mm. year, 
winning score was six under. Not one person shot 65 in any round last year, which was the first time that had happened in any non-major on the PGA Tour, I think since 2016, it might be, something like that. Or it might even go back farther than that. But that just shows it. Not one person, four days, shot 65. Now it's a par 70, but mm-hmm. not one person shot 65 last year. So this might be the toughest of the four golf courses in Florida that uh, Graham McDowell talked about it last week, how t- challenging it is in the state of Florida. So it's uh, another tough test coming up. So do you think that for all the hoopla surrounding the Players' Championship, that the from a visual standpoint, is that the most intimidating golf course that the guys play? I mean, we you, you've been around a long time, seen a lot of different tracks, and sometimes you get to a British Open venue when you know the wind is going to howl 30 and the gorse is up. I mean, that that's a different kind of a deal. But the week-to-week stuff that we get on the PGA Tour, by and large, I think that um, TBC Sawgrass, not even just 16, 17, 18, has tons of places where it can get really bad really, really quick. In your opinion, is that the most visually intimidating course they play? I think Jim Furyk would say yes, because Jim Furyk said that any Pete Dye golf course is visually intimidating. Um, I think it would separate TPC Sawgrass with all the other courses, and even on the easiest of the holes at TPC Sawgrass, is you know one shot could be birdie or double bogey. I mean, it, it, on every shot. Water comes into play on 17 of the 18 holes. You, know, you can make an argument it really doesn't come into play on 10, really doesn't come into play on a couple other holes, but sure. it certainly comes into play on a lot of holes. And you certainly know there's a lot of teeth around the greens. Um, there's a lot of teeth around the fairways, drop-off, deep bunkers. And you realize that you are one shot away from a double bogey. Uh, and I think that's throughout the first tee through the 18th hole. I'm not sure you get that in Arnie's. I'm not mm-hmm. sure you get that at concession. Um, I'm not, I think there's a couple of breathers here. And there are certainly breathers at, at the stadium course for the Players' Championship. But if you're just a hair off, you're done. I mean, you're, you're, you're scrambling for bogey. You're looking at double. You could be a, a triple or worse. So um, when the guys tell you that one of the most intimidating holes they play every year and it's only 132 yards and they got Wedger 9-iron in their hand, yeah, the Island Green at the 17th, that's just one of them. So – um, yeah, it, it, it's visually intimidating. And there's a reason, I think, the first round of last week's Players' Championship, when we had a leader in the, in the mid-60s, and we had some of the best players in the world in the high 70s. Yeah, I mean, there was a disparity of 20, 23 shots, I think, or 25 shots between best and worst. And I hadn't seen that in a long time. I mean, in a long time. You see it at the U.S. Open, but the U.S. Open has amateurs. Amateurs, so, exactly. The amateurs, but... Um, PGA Championship with club pros as well. But that one, it was just startling. And it was startling that it happened to great players like Tony Finau. I mean, he had come in second, 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 T14. And then he was seven over par his first 10 holes. Mm-hmm. And you're going, how is this possible? How, no matter how tough the golf course is, how is Tony Finau seven over? So it, it's it's always an interesting week at the Players' Championship. So after the they had completed their first round, Ian Poulter took to social media as he is wont to do and sat down with Henrik Stenson, Rory McIlroy, and uh, Terrell Hatton. 
And it was really funny. He put it up. I forget if it was on regular Instagram or Instagram stories, but I'm sure if you folks go out there and Google it, you can sort of catch it. And he basically went and, you know, Henrik had just gotten up and left because after he shot that, I mean, they should have taken away his shoelaces. It was it was a total mess. And he said something along the lines of like, between the four of us, 29 over par. I may have gotten the number right, but I think it was 29 over par between the four of us. And he just shook his hand and was like, what a bunch of Muppets. You know, it was one of those days where it was so hard between the wind on a... And that golf course is going to be challenging on a good day. And to see four players, you know, one of whom is – two of them, excuse me, two of them who are our past champions on that golf course, with Stenson and Rory. Rory was, you know, was bruised by that place. Obviously, Stenson shot the moon. And Terrell Hatton has played some really good golf over the last year. He knows what he's doing. He's a top 10 in the world player now. He's a solid stick. And, you know, you can make an argument, Polder can be up and down, but but to see those kind of numbers, as you're saying, and that disparity, um, to me, I, I'm i trying to think of a three-hole stretch coming down where we get, and I know that, you know, th- this week, you know, people are going to be talking about the bear trap, and, and it's, I, I get it, it's a really challenging stretch of holes, and we get a bunch of these things. For my money, it is tough to beat, you know, all the marketing and the hoopla and that stuff aside. 16, 17, 18 at TPC Sawgrass might be just about as good as it gets because you have the opportunity to shoot um, an eagle. We saw guys have some somewhat long, but some guys made eagle on 16. You've got a huge risk-reward par 3, and then you've got a par 4 that can be birdie, but boy, it takes a lot of guts, to, to depending on how that wind is blowing, to hit a driver shot like JT did, or do you try and go a little bit more conservatively and bend something with a three wood and then take a longer thing and maybe bite off a little bit. It is a fantastic stretch. And, you know, to see it in person when the guys are really going is, is great. I think that is the ultimate theater. And really with TPC Sawgrass, Steve, that's what, that's what they wanted. That that's the whole idea is when you come down the stretch, right? That here is the theater. Now go guys, go and get it. Well, it's one of the courses, and we, we hear it every year, and it might have been Tiger who's who gets the clip more often than anybody else. If you make the cut at the Players' Championship, you have a chance to win. That's how good the field is. Yeah, That's how good and challenging the golf course is. Um, and Justin Thomas was one shot above the cut line, 27 holes. Um, if he doesn't shoot a, a solid back nine, he made four birdies and a bogey, I think he made – he made the cut easy, but mm-hmm. had to get on his horse on Friday afternoon. Um, he's not the winner. Um, so it's a golf course. Again, it's a golf course where here's Justin Thomas on Sunday's final round, who's thinking to himself and knowing to himself and telling himself, I'm playing good golf. And he's walking to the 19 one over par for the, for the, for the day. Yeah. And then he goes birdie, birdie, Eagle birdie. So there are stretches there. You get it going, you get it going. It will reward you as, and especially with a bunch of the bowls that they have on the greens, um, mm-hmm. you can get into the hole. But uh, it's just a golf course that you can explode both ways. You know, you can go red real quickly, or you can go high real quickly. So yeah. it's just, and you have to hit every shot, right to left, left to right, high and low. Well, I mean, it's a great golf course. So obviously Justin Thomas is your winner, 14 under par. He shoots 71, 71, 64, which was really, really impressive. And then 68, obviously on Sunday to overtake the leaders, pass up Bryson DeChambeau, Lee Westwood, and and get the win. Um, as impressive as the shots were, 
his mental focus and his ability to clearly handle what was an emotional last couple months for JT, I think impressed me even more. What what stands out in this win for you? He obviously hit some great shots, but this one meant a lot to him, didn't it? Well, years from now, we're going to remember the uh, ball striking clinic that he put on on the weekend. Um, I mean, we're talking, he was just, he hit 17 of 18 greens in the final round, and the one green he missed, he missed it by about two inches. And he had a sandwich in his hand. On he was eight. mad about it, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but right now, what you remember is he used the word crappy. It's been a crappy couple of months. And it's mm-hmm. been three big gut checks. You know, he, he had the homophobic slur in January at the Century Tournament Champions that he manned up immediately, apologized for immediately, owned up to it immediately, and he was genuine about it. Mm-hmm. He didn't need a PR machine to wash his answers through. He was genuine. That's who he is. And he has repeatedly apologized for it since. A sponsor dropped him, unfortunately, and another sponsor chastised him. So he had to deal with that. And then one of his best friends, his father's father, grandpa, died. Um, and he played the toughest round of his life, the Sunday of Waste Management Phoenix mm-hmm. Open. And then maybe might be just coming right out of it. And then one of his closest friends and, and a mentor of sorts, Tiger Woods, has the single car rollover crash. And all of that compounded. And you could you could see it with jo- with Justin. Um, the smiles weren't as readily easily coming out. Um, his body language many times was wasn't good. Um, but he had a lot of, on his shoulders and on his mind and on his heart. And then, so Saturday shoot 64, and I asked him afterwards, is this the best you've felt in a long time on a golf course? And he said, yes, it is. And we sort of laughed and go, you want to expand? Yes, sir. Meaning, no, I don't. Yeah. I had enough of talking about, he didn't want to recap with his grandfather. He didn't want to talk about yeah. time. He didn't want to bring up what happened in, in Hawaii. Um but you could see his body language was a lot better that they obviously shooting 64 will improve anybody's body language. But on the range Sunday morning, it looked like the old Justin Thomas was back. He was joking around. He was striping the ball on the range. He, he was had a look on his face that we hadn't seen in a while. And Jimmy Johnson, his caddy, said he had never – he hadn't seen Justin Thomas that focused in a long time. Mm-hmm. Thomas, his dad, afterwards said – Nice to have Justin Thomas back again. Um, so, yeah, it was a very, very emotional win. It's, you know, you could argue it's, you know, along, it's definitely alongside his PGA Championship win as his biggest win, and he's won a FedEx Cup, too. That's pretty big, too. Mm-hmm. So it's just, you know, he's not going to forget what happened in Hawaii just like that because he won. He's going to certainly continue thinking about his grandfather. He's certainly going to be attentive to how Tiger is doing. But this took a lot off his shoulders, and um, there was a very deserved champion in Justin Thomas. So he was asked afterwards, and I apologize, I forget you know, if it was in his media conference or if it was by Golf Channel afterwards, but he was asked something to the effect of, did you need to win something? Did you need to get here in order to put some of these really negative and bad things that you've had to go through in 21 behind you? And he gave what I thought was a really mature answer in that, no. I mean, basically meaning that the win doesn't 
set everything straight and mean it's all now in the past. And obviously the, the death of his grandfather is something that, you know, he's going to still wake up tomorrow for many days, you know, into the future. He's still going to think about him and it's still going to hurt. I'm sure. Um, he is still, I think, cause he, he said that he has been talking to people about a lot of things that he has inside of him. Basically, I don't know if he's seeing a therapist. I don't know if he's using his friends as sounding boards, um, to just try and, look at himself as a person to try and become a better person. And it's none of my business who he's talking to or not, or what they're talking about. But clearly he is trying to make himself better, having realized that he made a very bad mistake. And as you said, he has apologized for it, but it's beyond just saying that he's taking action on it. And it's really, again, and I feel none of our business exactly what he's doing and who he's doing it with, but the winning didn't, solve every problem that he had when he when he you know dro- drove into the stadium course on Sunday at the same time then when he was photographed afterwards sitting down and the hat was back and just you could see the weight coming off of his shoulders the, the intense concentration that it took for him over the course of five hours to put in it was absolutely unbelievable is he and this is an unfair question to sort of throw at you you know given all this stuff how much do you think it's going to take for him to recover? in some ways from a win like this is this something that because the emotional drain he's played some golf here and there he doesn't seem to like you have had a, a terribly rigorous schedule he's off this week he's not playing at the honda classic um do, is do you think that this somehow it, it takes a while for him to recover from this or do you think that this is just like yeah right before we've got the masters here in three weeks this is right where justin thomas wants to be at this point I, I think it's where he wants to be right now. He, when he kicks back, he kicks back. Believe me. He can spend a lot of hours on the couch. He's got a great wall of TVs. And <laughs> I'm running Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday with every game on. Um, and he, he knows how to kick back. Okay. Um, it's it's going to be emotional. I mean, the great thing about Justin, he's, he talks about he wants to become a better person. Well, he was a darn good dude before Hawaii happened. I mean, one of the best. Um, He's been genuine. He doesn't shy away from anything. He doesn't lie. He's a genuine, good dude. Um, And he also knows how to party, and he also knows how to kick back. So this emotion, it'll be with him for a while. Um, And I think it might help at the match play. He knows he's not going up against 64 guys, 60 Mm -hmm. other guys. He's going up against one guy Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, and he can concentrate on just that, his golf and that one guy, and hopefully get through the round robin and then get into Friday's quarterfinals and, and uh, I mean, the, the, the next round and go from mm-hmm. four. Um, well, he'll be, he, he's in fine shape for the Masters. You know, he, he's played well there, um, and uh, he certainly is going to be a favorite now, no matter mm-hmm. what he does from here until we get there. So one of the guys who is playing this week is Lee Westwood. And um, to me, it's been fascinating to see not just Lee Westwood over the last couple of weeks playing some really good golf. And really over the last, say, six to eight months, he's played some exceptional golf all over the world. We're seeing it now more here because in some high-profile events, all of a sudden he's second at Bay Hill, loses to Bryson. Certainly no shame in that. And even made a couple putts down the end to sort of keep things a little bit interesting. Comes in second after playing some wonderful golf through the first 54 holes. Gets some tough luck 
Um, he said that afterwards that his legs started feeling tired. Um, you know, he's 47. He's allowed to have that. Um, at, at the same time, how surprised are you that we're sort of seeing this reemergence, if you will, at least on the American stage, of Lee Westwood again at age 47, um, really becoming something got, uh, of a fixture now on some of these leaderboards? Well, he, he's always been one of the best ball strikers since I got here in 2007. And he was a great ball striker well before that, too. You, you always hear you know, his name pops up, Sergio's name pops up, Tiger's name always pops up on everything you're talking about, Adam Scott, so on and so forth. But um, Westwood, you got to remember, this is a guy I think uh, has nine or eight top threes in majors without winning a major. Mm-hmm. There was the longest time where Lee Westwood was in the major conversation of people, the best player never to won a major. And then he wasn't, he had, you know, he, he wasn't one of the best anymore because he hadn't done much anything, but it, it speaks to what is inside your heart and what's inside your mind and mentally. I mean, he's got his girlfriend, fiance on his bag, Helen, and she has done wonders for him. Um, and you can hear it from his fellow European players. Ian Poulter's talked about it. Rory's talked about what she is, his rock. Um, and it's, he, it's, he, and maybe it's just maturity as well, but he's been able to leave what happens at the golf course at the golf course and be fine with that. Um, and you know, there were stretches there where he couldn't putt and he couldn't buy it. I mean, if you go to Hazeltine, there was a key moment. I'm pretty sure it was Saturday afternoons round where he missed like a two and a half footer on 18 that gave the American. Uh, one more point instead of a half point. And, you know, that's just stretched the lead out even more. Um, and you could see the European writers, they almost expected him to miss it. So, mm-hmm. and now he's putting better. And maybe if you, you know, you feel better inside your heart, you feel better inside your mind, you're walking with your best friend out there on the golf course, <laughs> you're going to putt better. You're going to play better. But, um, and he knows how to play. I mean, my oh, God, yeah. Lord, he's won 25 times on the European tour. Um, unfortunately, and maybe he'll do it this week, he would become the first player in PGA Tour history to go more than 10 years between PGA Tour wins twice. So that's – and he yeah. had, he's held the 54-hole lead in the 1990s, 2000, 2010s, and 2020s. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure he's the only one that's ever done that. Um, and, and he's strong. He's still strong. But on Sunday – you know, he comes out and knocks his first approach to three feet on one, taps it in. Okay. Then he hits one really squirrely to the right on two. His second shot, squirrely, hit trees on the right, ended up in a water hazard. Four, he hits it off the map. And we're going, ugh. Yeah. And he pulls it on five, and we're going, ugh. But he got it back, um, and, you know, he didn't panic. Uh, maybe 47. He's going to be 48 next month. Maybe you don't panic as easily at that age because you're patient and you know, hey, um, you know, this is gravy right now. This is, you know, cherries on top of the ice cream I'm having right now. I'm, I'm, I'm rolling. I'm, I'm rolling the dice. Let's go. I'm playing with house money. Maybe I don't need to get mad. Um, but he has played marvelously. Um, yeah. He's finished solo second two weeks in a row. He's one of the favorites this week. Yeah, he's um certainly has seemed to get some perspective and and it's been fascinating for me as I was sort of hinting that the there has been a transformation. I don't think he was ever 
looked at or looked down upon, I should say, by American fans the way that certainly Colin Montgomery was. And it's sometimes Sergio Garcia has has really gotten it from some of the fans at, at US PGA Tour events. Certainly Beth Page in, in 2002, he it was relentless. I was there and, and he really was getting the jabs from everybody. Uh, the old Mrs. Doubtfire stuff with with Monty was was really pretty harsh when you look back on it. Ian Poulter gets it quite a bit. There seems to be, and you've been out there now with some of the crowds over the last couple of weeks, and I want to know if you're feeling it too. If there's almost like a sympathetic movement that 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 in this case now Westwood is getting people who are coming around to him. I don't know how much they're warming to him because he's got a smile on his face. How much the fact that people like that the old guy can keep up with the young bombers like DeChambeau and somebody like JT and such like that. But there seems to be a warming to Lee Westwood over the last couple of weeks. And people, people are pulling for him. Are you feeling that out there? Well, we felt it at Arnie's place. Um, it was sort of a David versus Goliath. Sure. It was paired with Bryson DeChambeau, the incredible Hulk, um, Paul Bunyan of the PGA tour, whatever, what have you. Um, and I think he, he gained a lot of admirers when, you know, Bryson went across the lake on an angle nobody had ever taken before and cleared the lake. And then Lee went on a much more conservative line, but hit a very good drive. And he did his showmanship, you know, pumping his hands up there and stuff. And he was pumping around. And so here was a, the 47-year-old against the 27-year-old. Um, and, you know, everybody expected, okay, Bryson's just going to roll over, you know, for the fans out there. And Lee wasn't going to go away. I mean, Lee's just gritty. You know, he's just – he hasn't done too much off the golf course or on the golf course that, that make anybody cringe mm-hmm. for his whole years, you know. Um, but uh, he's just a good dude. Um, you know, I know there's a couple of European writers that say he's a national treasure over and uh, across the pond. Um, he's always treated me well. I He's always treated a lot of people uh, in the media well. Um, and then to come back again and do it, the net on the PGA Tours flagship event on their biggest stage and do it once again. And, you know, with Bryson once again in the mix, um, it, it, Impressive. it's golf. Um, and I'll tell you one thing, that roar that he got on 17 on Saturday um, was as much because it was in one of those putts on 17 where you're above the ridge and you're putting down to the Tiger Woods better than most pin placement down on the bottom ridge. I mean, that thing could go off the water, going off the green into the water, and he knocks it in, he gives the fist pump, and the roars were there. So um, I think people love to see good golf, and they love to see good golf from sort of an underdog, even though he's gone second, second the last two weeks. He's been an underdog each week. So yeah. he's, he's, he's put up some good stuff. I'll be, I'll be curious to see what he's got left in the tank coming into this week because as you mentioned at the top of this you know the golf courses it would seem are getting progressively more and more challenging and um it's it's got to be a lot and i don't care what kind of you know good mindset he's gotten clearly he's got one he's smiling more than we've seen him you know in decades and and it made me wonder if he were an american obviously he's broken our hearts in Ryder cup a bunch of times he's been an absolute stud i think that he'll be someday a tremendous captain um, I can't imagine that he's not going to get the opportunity at some point. He's been on enough winning Ryder Cups. He has been alongside, you know, guys and and learned from everybody. He's been playing on Ryder Cup now forever. My gosh. Uh, I think he played against Ben Hogan in Ryder Cup for crying out. Loud. He's been around forever. Um, and 
just how much he's going to have left in the tank. You know, it's it's a big ask to play this many weeks in a row with the course is getting harder and harder. And obviously, you know, uh, tell us, he, he said that he didn't have a bad little Monday. What did, uh, for people who may not be aware, Steve, what did he do today? You you drove uh, the half the length of Florida. I was sitting here working in my office. What did he do? I drove five hours south. He flew about, I don't know, an hour north. He played Augusta National with his son. Um, hmm. And he also said his son will be caddying for him in the Masters. Now, we'll see if that holds true. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure his name is his son's name is Sam, but uh, you know he pockets. Let's say I think he pockets two point six seven million the last two weeks, and on Monday he doesn't go to Disneyland. He goes to someplace better. He goes to Augusta National and plays with his son. Um, and now I'll bet you he's already flown back after a nice dinner at Augusta National because you can't go there as a guest and not have dinner there. Um, and probably pop himself into bed. He's not talking to the media till Wednesday. So I bet he's going to take it pretty easy on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, he got a restful day in, even though he played golf, but he, he, he played golf and basically heaven, you know, yeah, it, it was a great time. Um, it'll be, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. Obviously Helen's been on the bag with him now for a couple of years. This is not a brand new thing that started just a couple of weeks ago. She's been at many turns with him. I'll be curious to sort of see, if there is any change with that. Now he did say uh, on a couple of occasions at this point in my career, there aren't too many things that a caddy is going to tell me that I'm probably not already aware of. It's much more keeping me in a mindset, keeping me in an attitude that's going to help me to play good golf. And I'm sure his son can do that. Um, I'm sure there's a couple people who can do that. Obviously she has done that in the past. Um, Bryson DeChambeau has been playing some pretty good golf and seems to have a pretty good attitude about the whole thing. He came off the golf course um, after what might have been somewhat of a frustrating day, although, boy, the the eagle on 16 made it real interesting down the stretch, didn't it? Um, what what were your ideas or what were going what was going through your mind when Bryson came off and said that, in some ways, TPC Sawgrass pens him in, that it, it, it forces him to play in a little bit different way? What do you think he meant by that for people who may not fully get it? Well, I can, we can just go to the 18th hole. He hit four iron off the tee. Uh, I don't think anybody else hit four iron off the tee. Because mm. if he hits driver and it goes straight, it's in the trees. If he hits it, pulls it a little bit, it's in the water. Um, so he was hitting hybrid off of number two um, because he got a dog legged around the trees. Um, and it, it's, you know, it, it's penal on that way. You know, he, he, can't, he can't hit driver on four. You know, now he hit hybrid on four yesterday and he thinned it. Everybody else said he topped it. He thinned it and it went 143 yards into the water hazard. On his next shot, he hits a four iron off the map. You know, it almost looks like a shank. He told us after the round that he had broken the head on his four iron, that there was a little crack on the bottom of his four iron. Mm. That's how his day started. You know, it's it was something else, um, but he fought back. Um, but he hit a lot of drivers, but he is now, you know, he, in the early days, he called when he unleashed the Kraken, he called mm-hmm. it the Kraken. Well, he wasn't doing very many of the Krakens last week. Um, you know, even on 16, he, he buried 16. Oh um, and, you know, on 14, you know, you have to be real careful. Um, 
because if you pull it, you can go into the lake and it narrows at, at little, like a little slight dog leg right on 14, that it gets more dangerous up there. So he had to decide what he wants to do. Um, and I'm not sure he's a real big fan of feeding balls, you know, with big humps on the greens, um, you know, fighting it 20 yards away. But he said, Hey, if I have to play that way, I'll learn how to play that way and I'll enjoy it. Um, so, you know, it was quite a week. Uh, there's no out of bounds on TPC Sawgrass stadium course, which I couldn't believe when I found out, but there is none. Um, except this week when they put the, in course, out of bounds, left of the left side of the lake on the left side of the 18th hole, because Bryson had talked about going across towards the ninth fairway, and then coming back across the the lake mm-hmm. to the 18th green. Now, one, it would have taken him 45 minutes to play the hole. Um, going that way, you have yeah. to go all the way around everywhere. So we we can't have that. You, you can't have that. Mm-hmm. You, you just can't. Um, but so that was the only inbounds. And then on Friday, Rory McIlroy told us that he got caught up chasing Bryson DeChambeau. Now here's really interesting, really interesting stuff. Yeah. Number one in the world, former number one in the world, four-time major champion, the best player of his generation among the youngsters. And he was influenced to the point that, his swing got too long. Now he gained speed. He's hitting the ball harder, but he said his game got his swing got a little too long. Um, it got a little too loose. Got a little roundish, and now he's put the brakes on that, and he's got to get back to being Rory again. And hopefully, he can do that by still being being strong. But the fact that that's the influence that Bryson had, and he cert Rory wasn't certainly the only one that he's had an influence on. So. Um, but it was startling to hear a former world number one, a four-time major champion, who was the best player on the planet before COVID-19 hit. Without a doubt. And then became a father. And, you know, maybe that's why his swing went away. You know, COVID-19 got in the way, became a father. Um, and that changes fathers. I don't know because I've never been a father, but everything I've read, it changes yep. you. Maybe that's what gotten in the way but he said it was chasing it was chasing bryson but well that chase is done so now he's in retreat and he's going back and he's got to get back to what he was before he was doing all these speed drills so do you think obviously if you look at who are the most influential players in golf have been over certain periods of time arnold palmer was hugely influential obviously jack nicholas um tiger woods arguably has been the most influential golfer period when you look at the depth and the spread of his influence in so many different ways, even beyond golf. And I'm wondering if you think, and is it too early to think that Bryson DeChambeau sort of in real time right now is becoming the most influential golfer that we have? Because if he can shape the mind and in some ways get in the head, for lack of a better words, of somebody like Rory McIlroy, who is as golf savvy as they come, We've heard other players talking about, you know, trying to think about speed. How much can they sort of do? There have got to be legions of 16, 17, 18-year-olds who aspire to get someday on the PGA Tour. They're playing out on the AJGA now. They're thinking about college golf who are like, okay, so the recipe is for me to hit the weight room, get with the right trainers, and just go all in 
on distance and power. And this is going to be my road to success. Am I reading too much into it? Do you think too soon? Or do you think that if we're going to look back a couple of years from now, that in some ways Bryson is changing the way that we're going to look at golf and what it, what you're going to have to do to be successful? Well, I can say I haven't seen anybody else using the same length irons, the same length clubs. Mm. No other girl has put that in the bag. Um, you know, and, you know, Bryson gets uh, criticized a bit. And, and some people say the reason he's not a better wedge player is because you can't have a seven iron length on your wedge uh, shaft, a seven iron shaft on your yep. wedge and hit wedges very well. But that was the other interesting point that Rory said. The one thing that impressed him the most, and he was skeptical before Wingfoot, you know, Bryson had beaten up Detroit in the Rocket Mortgage, and he had played well in other places, but he got the big beast in the Wingfoot, and he took that thing down. What Bryson can do with his speed and his single-length shafted irons is get steeper, which allows him to go through and generate more speed through rough. Yeah. That's what impressed Rory, and maybe – that way, but I don't see any. If Tiger Woods was doing what he did in 2000 to 2002, 2005 to 2009, with single length iron shafts, everybody on the PGA Tour would have single iron length shafts. I don't see that happening with Bryson. Um, now, I don't know if it's happening in June AJGAs. I don't know if they're mm-hmm. out there with the same shafts for their one iron or two iron as they have with their wedges. I don't know that. Um, Tiger already took people into the weight room. I don't know if any kids are adapting what Bryson said earlier about working out so hard you almost pass out. I don't know if kids are chasing that. But what kids are saying, and it's not just Bryson, it's Tony Finau, it's Dustin Johnson, it's Brooks Kepka. The way the game is set up right now on the PGA Tour, again, I don't know about the Cal mm-hmm. I don't know about AJGA setups, but the way it's set up on the PGA Tour, it's a lot more beneficial to be 30 yards ahead of somebody in the rough than it is yep. for somebody to be 30 yards behind in the fairway. And and plus, you got more speed and you got more power. You're hitting eight iron at a 200 yard par three instead of a six iron, and that's a that's a big difference. So. The power game is there. I don't see anything wrong with it. Um, uh, you know, Justin Thomas certainly hits the ball far enough, and he's about 150, dripping wet, um, and he's not going to put any weight on. And he talked about that. He's got no frame to put the weight on, and he just won the Players' Championship, and he's won 14 times. Um, and so it's uh, you can do it a lot of different ways. Yep, and, uh, for sure. Bryson, is Bryson's a big, big dude, and I, I really don't know how many people would want to put on forty to fifty pounds. Um, and because you got to do twenty, you got to go at it twenty four seven. Yeah, twenty four I mean, seven. He's chugging. He's, so he's, he's chugging those power shakes and the protein shakes nonstop. I mean, it's kind of comical um, when he was really in the throes of it. I remember seeing him last year, and it was just one after the other. I mean, they're just going because he was just trying to get that many calories into his body because he was working so hard. You know, it's not like he's chubby. It's a guy who's just really, really bulked up with muscle and has done a lot of stretching. He's obviously limber. He can move it around. Um, This week, you're at the Honda Classic, PGA National Resort and Spa, really, really hard golf course. Gary Woodland, 
Scott Pierce and Jack Redman are out. Um, we haven't really, for, for, I mean, it's a great to say, like, had, it seems like, too many scares with, with COVID and, and players testing positive, but we've had some this week. Um, talk to me about the field that we've got and give me a little update, if we can, on, on Daniel Berger, one of the guys who's uh, finally gets to play his Masters. It would have been nice if he could have played last year when he was really hot, but he's going to be in the Masters. One of the marquee players, and it sounds like we've got an injury report on him as well now. Well, hopefully he can get to the Masters. Hopefully he can get to the Honda Classic. Mm-hmm. Um, the Honda Classic is in a bad spot this year. Um, you had a WGC at the concession, then Arnie's, then the Players' Championship, now the Honda. You got a WGC next week, the, f- the following week. Then you got Valero, and then you got the Masters. So you've got four monster tournaments. you got two WGCs, the Players, and the Masters in seven weeks. Somebody was going to get hurt. And right now, that's the Honda Classic. Um, unfortunately, Brooks Kepka hurt his right knee. He had a WD. Mm-hmm. Um, we lost Gary Woodland, you know, U.S. Open champion, Gary Woodland, Doc Redman, Scott Piercy, all tested positive for COVID-19 today on Monday. So they're out. Um, Daniel Berger got an MRI on Monday um, on a rib issue that he's been dealing with. And he fought through it, and I think he shot 67 or 68 in the final round at the Players' Championship. He doesn't know if he's going to be able to go forward, you know, because I'm thinking if his, the doc says it could get worse, I think Dan shuts it down to make sure he's ready for the Masters. Agreed. We've lost marquee names. Um, and some of your other marquee names aren't playing very well. You know, Ricky Fowler is still in a slump. Um, it's trying to fight through this slump uh, that's been dogging him. Um, but we have Ricky Fowler in the field. Uh, Ian Poulter, the Muppet. Hopefully he won't play like a Muppet again. Uh, Phil Mickelson's in the field. Uh, Sung J.M., the defending champions in the field. Hopefully Berger will be able to play. Hopefully his rib issue is fine. Um, it's a strong enough field. It, it, and the golf course could be the star. Um, there are times when the golf course is a star. Mm-hmm. Every time we go to Pebble Beach, it's – you know, it's a it's a cool star. Yeah. Yeah. And Augusta National, certainly one of the stars of Augusta the Masters is Augusta National. This is a is one of the stars. And it might be a horror picture, um, with the bear trap, um, and a lot of other teeth at a lot of other places on that golf course. Um, but so there should be interesting golf. I mean, if, if people like train wrecks, and you know they do. This is a golf tournament to tune into because there's a, there could be a train wreck around any, any corner. I mean, the bear trap is just one tough beast to get through. And the 18th hole is no piece of cake either. Really hard. It's a really par five. And, and it's just a really tough golf course from tee to green, from the first tee to the 18th green. Um, and But the weather's supposed to be perfect. And regardless of how strong the field is, We've had great finishes in every single tournament this year, and I don't see anything different happening this year, this week at the Honda Classic. You sold me. I'll be tuning in. Steve, I'll look forward to seeing some of your stuff on golfweek.com this week. Continue to travel safe. Be well, and thanks again for coming on the Ford Press. Thank you, sir. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. 
listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.